We are going to be moving away a little bit from the Tzemach Tzedek battling the Maskilim. And we're now going to discuss other things that Tzemach Tzedek was doing while all this was going on. It wasn't like earlier in his life or later in his life. All these things were like constant. So he's dealing with so many things at the same time. All of our Abayim, in general, were involved in many different things, uh, community-wise. At the same time, taking care of each individual chassid. Nevertheless, there was one responsibility that they, they minimized their involvement in, that they did not want to get involved in, and that was haskening Shilas and halacha. That although all of them did paskin Shilas and halacha, certain, thing, certain times, especially very difficult ones. But generally, when somebody would ever write to the Rebbe and ask him a shaylan halacha, usually the Rebbe would respond and say, go ask a Rav, why are you asking me? The Tzemach Tzedek, however, was the exception. Now you can say, what do you mean? The Alter Rebbe wrote a Shulchan Aruch. <laughs> How does that not count? So, um, but at the end of the day, he wrote the Shulchan Aruch, but whenever somebody asked him a shayla, he would say, go to my brother, the Maril. Or he would, in later years, he would say, go to my grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek. Like, he wouldn't want to pass in a shayla. He wrote the Shulchan Aruch, but he wouldn't pass in that, that often. I'm not, I'm not saying that they never did. I'm saying in general, they didn't. However, the Tzemach Tzedek was different. Now, in addition to being involved in all these activities that we mentioned earlier, he was the top of the paskin of his time. And interestingly, even though he was a tremendous rav, whenever he and or the members of his household had a personal halacha shayla, they wouldn't ask the tzemach tzedek. They would go to like the local rav. And rabbanim from all the communities in Russia, even those who were not chassidim, they directed their particularly difficult shaylas to the tzemach tzedek and, and asked him for his opinion. And this was especially true when it came to the situation of Agunois. Agunois is a woman whose husband has disappeared and we don't know what happened to him. When it came to the topic of Agunois, even the most experienced, famous Rabbanim, they turned to him. Because when you're dealing with Agunois, a guy comes and says, listen, I saw your husband get killed, but I wasn't right next to him. I was like a block away, but I, I'm pretty sure it was him. Do we say the woman could now get remarried? You can't say no. These are, these are very serious questions. Very serious problems. Because if you say no, now let's say it probably was her husband. You're telling her she can't get remarried. How sad. For the rest of her life, she's 25 years old. You want her to go the next 50 years, if she lives that long, without, without ever being able to get remarried? How hard is that? And if you say yes, and really, maybe your husband was alive, the children are going to be mamzerim. So when it comes to Shaila's of Agunas, it's not like passing a Shaila, oh, is this kosher or treif? Let's say you were wrong, right? What's the worst thing that will happen? You ate treif? Okay, that's bad. 
I'm not saying that's a good thing or, or not a bad thing, but that's a bad thing. But you can't compare it to a case of a married woman marrying someone else. So, right, so again, an aguna is a woman whose husband disappeared. In general, if she wants to get remarried, you have, she has two options. Either her husband has to be dead or he has to give her a divorce, a get. Now, in the case, you have a case, the husband disappears. No one knows what happened to him. He was traveling from town to town. He left this town. He never made it to the next town. Did, maybe he ran away. Maybe he doesn't want to be found by his wife, which unfortunately happened. Still happens. Um, and in such a situation, the wife just has to wait around until someone, somehow the husband's found and agrees to give her a get. And even if he did die, no, there's no witnesses. You know, how does anyone know anything? Now, so in those situations where things were very clear-cut, meaning the husband disappeared and no one saw him. There's, not, there's, not, there's no shyness you could ask her of. But what if there was some evidence leading someone to believe that the husband probably died? But it wasn't real evidence. Would that be enough to free her from the status of an aguna? Right, so the classic example of a situation, a man is seen boarding a raft with other people to cross a very wide river. 20 minutes later, many people are standing on the shore and they witness the raft sinking. Very, very wild, turbulent waters. And from all the passengers on the raft, only a few are rescued. Her husband is not one of them. Could we assume that her husband is dead? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, what if he got washed down to the river, made it to the other side, and he said, hey, this is the perfect time to escape because my wife is such a mean woman. I don't want to be next to her. I also want to make her suffer. I don't want to give her a get. So, we don't know. So, maybe, yeah, maybe not. Another scenario another situation. What if you have the body of a Jewish guy is found? Someone looks at the body and says, I'm positive it's Shleimala. Now the problem is his face, because he got killed, is a little bit uh, not, not uh, so clear to see. Could we assume that the guy knows what he's talking about? Now these are just two examples of cases. There's endless amount of examples that you can give. And they would, all the Rabbanim, or most of them for sure, would, would, would uh, send the Tzemach Sedek, like guidance, like what do we do? Yes or no? And situations about Agunas occur in these days today. There's no question about it. But in those days, it was much more common. Today, I, it's very hard for a guy to just disappear. Right? <laughs> we live in a world... We live in a world where, where it's very hard for a guy to disappear. Why? Where you, where, let's say you want to run away. Where are you going to go to? So if you, you're still a from Yid, you're going to need to run to a Jewish community, right? Now because of, especially today, everyone has social media and all that stuff. It's so easy to reach your relatives and, you know. It, it's very difficult. Everyone has fingerprinting and you need a passport, right? So you can go to the government and say, hey, did this guy with this passport leave the country? Oh, he did? Where did he fly to? 
Oh, we flew to Eretz Yisrael. Okay, let's go there and look for him. Right, as opposed to back then, there's, there's nowhere to hide and run to. Um, now, another problem is during those, during those times, it was more common because Yidin were just like hopped up and grabbed for the army. Now, what, what age did people get married back then? 14. All the Rabbeim, besides for the Fidik Rebbe and the Rebbe, got married at 14. So you have this 16-year-old Chassan, newly married. His, his wife is already pregnant. Mazel tov, the baby's almost here. And all of a sudden, he's walking home and he gets taken by, 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 by the, for the army. Draft, finished, kidnapped. Or, also another common thing in those days, traveling from city to city, and on the way he gets killed by a highwayman. Today that doesn't happen. If, if someone does get killed today, everyone, the whole world knows about it, right? Um, there, there were years of famine when people literally just died on the streets and were just buried in mass graves. Like nobody was marking off who's buried in which grave. You buried 30 people together. How are you supposed to know who's buried where? So that's why it was more common in those days. Now, Many of these poor and unfortunate women, they came to Lubavitch, they needed Rebbe's help, and they came with evidence in their hand, and they showed it to the Tzema, then they wanted to know, Tzema Tzedek sees it, could, could I remarry, could I not remarry? Other women said, listen, I don't have any evidence, but could the Rebbe please use his Ruach HaKadosh to figure out the situation? Now, in the beginning, the women would come to Lubavitch only to find out, to their tremendous dismay, that they would not be able to speak to the Tzemach Selek directly. As was the case with all tzaddikim of that time, the Rebbe was very careful about the laws of Tznius and did not allow any woman to enter his room, for, even for Yechidus. Only men had Yechidus. So instead, the women would write her name and the name of her husband and the place where the family was from and any other information she had and she would give it to the Gabbai and the Gabbai would bring it to the Rebbe. Now, when it was a question of halacha, meaning if a woman comes to the Rebbe and says and wrote a whole thing, this is the evidence, what, do you, what does the Rebbe think? So when it was a case of halacha, the woman would usually receive a, a, an immediate answer informing her, is this evidence good or is it not enough for her to remarry? Now, when she didn't have any evidence, however, and she said, Rebbe, could you help me through Ruach HaKadosh? The Tzemach Tzedek would sometimes answer her, but other times, for reasons known only to him, he wouldn't answer her. And maybe he didn't want to publicize that he's able to use his Ruach HaKadosh for such a thing. Now, those women who did not receive an answer... They stubbornly refused to leave and they would stay in the guest house in Lubavitch and they're just, I'll just wait here until the Tzemach Tzedek gives me an answer. Now sometimes they would get an answer within a day or two, but other times it could take them longer. And as, sometimes it turned, the days turned into weeks and they would often go to the Rebetzin, Rebetzin Chaim Mushka, and they would pour out their hearts to her and hoping that she would be able to get an answer from her husband and whenever possible, she, she did. She went into the Tzemach Tzedek and then she would say, you know, you gotta help. Now one time, there was at one time, not, not, in, not within a year, this amount of women came. All in one time, there were 36 Agunas in Lubavitch all waiting for an answer from the Rebbe. 
And all of them came to Rebbe Tzachai Mushka, crying and begging her to help. And their pain and their suffering was so much for her that the Rebbe herself became sick from seeing all this pain. And when the Rebbe asked her, the Rebbe sees she's sick. He goes, why are you sick? So in the beginning, she didn't answer him. But after he asked her again and again, so the Rebbe says, well, since you don't allow these women to speak to you, so they come to me and they pour out their hearts to me, and I can't take this pain. He said, if you're not able to help them, why don't you just tell them I can't help you and let them leave? You just let them hang around here. And if you can't help them, meaning if you're able to use your power that you have as a Rebbe and use your Ruach HaKadosh to help them, then help them. So when he heard his wife say this, it, uh, the Tzemach Sadek acknowledged the truth of her words, recognizing that his desire to hide his greatness had to be put aside in order to take away the suffering of other Yidin. And he immediately went to his study and he tells his Gabbai, okay, tell the women to come in one at a time. Right, so for us, this is a very normal thing. Because, that, by the way, when the Rebbe started taking women into Yechidus and, and also uh, by dollars and stuff like that, many people did not agree. When I say people, I mean outside of Lubavitch. said, oh, it's not Tznius. The Rebbe says, excuse me, you have to help every single Yid. And then he went one by one telling every single woman what, how she can get help. Now, some of them were told straight away, your husband could be found in this town. Your husband could be found in this city. Um, other women were told, if you go to this city, go look for this guy, and he'll tell you he's a witness to your husband's death. So you can get remarried. Um, others, however, were told that, unfortunately, the Rebbe is telling them, I know your husband's not alive. However, there's no witnesses. Which means that even though I know her husband's not alive, you can't pass in Shilas. You can't use. You can't say, "Oh, Ruach Hakodesh, you're allowed to get remarried." We have a Torah to follow, right? So it doesn't make a difference if I know her husband's dead. Are there witnesses? No, she can't get remarried. And now this is very unfortunate. You're basically telling this woman she could be very young. And you're telling her with 100% certainty, the Rebbe is telling her, I know through Ruach HaKadosh, you are never going to be allowed to get remarried. However, he didn't just tell them that and leave them like that. He encouraged them. He gave them brachas for long life and to have riches and, and, and to help them because if they had children, right, that means they also have to raise their children on their own. And most of them did have children, right? So... So, and if they didn't have children, they should, they should help with as much as possible with reading and, and they'll live a very nice life. Unfortunately, they won't be able to get remarried. And from then on, every Aguna who came to Lubavitch was able to speak to the Rebbe. There's many stories how with clear Ruach HaKodesh, he would instruct the women to go to this city or that place in order to get either reunited with their husbands or to get a get from them. Um, now, as word spread of the Tzemach Sadek's involvement with Agunais, uh, Rabbanim from all over, they accepted his opinion in this area. And uh, once these Rabbanim recognized his tremendous knowledge that, uh, uh, that these halachas are extremely difficult, so, and they realized it's not just in Agunos that he knows, he knows all these types of halachas that are hard for us, so we will ask him all these other shalos as well. We're going to learn later 
that Samach Tzedek wrote a massive safer on the laws of Agunas and what's considered good evidence or not good evidence, huge. And unfortunately, the entire thing was destroyed in a fire.